So I think we can officially agree that it is summer. Uh, it is hot outside, the kids are out of school, and all my TV shows that I watched all year long, they are over. So summer is officially here, and one of the ways that we feel that in the church is people travel. Nearly every weekend, someone is off visiting family, going on vacation, going uh, great places. Uh, and so part of summer involves travel, and part of travel involves Stories. We all have stories about being on the road. We have stories mainly, I think, about how things have gone wrong. Uh, car trouble, car sickness, um, uh, wrecks, and traffic. Most of us have encountered traffic on our travels. And if you're anything like me and you start thinking about certain places that you would go through, maybe Atlanta, for example, there's certain times a day where you just rather not go through Atlanta because you don't go through Atlanta, you come to a crashing halt, and you sit, and you wait, and you inch forward. And so uh, I imagine at some point this summer, you're going to find yourself in in some traffic. And so I wanted to share with you about some traffic that will maybe make you feel a little bit better. Uh, There's going to be a picture on the screen. This is in China. Uh, August the 13th of 2010, a traffic jam started uh, on China National Highway 110. The traffic jam slowed down thousands of vehicles for more than 60 miles and lasted for two weeks. Many drivers were unable to move their, only able to move their vehicles a kilometer a day, and some drivers reported being stuck in the traffic jam for five days. So if you're ever frustrated going through Atlanta, just know could could be there. And so uh, I thought this painted a pretty good picture of sometimes what my life feels like. Sometimes my life just feels like it's going incredible. You know, there are seasons in life where we feel like things are just going our way, like we wake up and we're excited to start the day, we're excited to go to work, and then when the day's over, like we're thrilled about coming home and seeing family. Uh, There's days where, you know, we eat well and we walk and we read and we watch less TV, and when we read our Bible, it's like God just speaks, and when we pray, we know that God hears us because we see him answer, and we sing like we can feel it in our cheeks, and there's days where it just feels like everything is going exactly how it should. And then there's also seasons where it's kind of like that. It's just this crashing halt of everything that we thought was going to happen kind of slows down. Maybe our hopes, our plans, our dreams, we just see the red lights and it's just, there's no momentum, there's no moving forward. And most of the times those things tend to happen in a combination. With my life, it's never just one thing that happens. It's two or three or four, and they kind of build up, and, it, and it, it's this struggle, and all of a sudden, it feels like God's not speaking through his words you're just reading, and it feels like God's not hearing your prayers, you're just kind of talking to yourself, and, and singing's kind of the last thing you, you feel like doing. And so, uh, the question that we're going to kind of struggle with tonight is this, is how do we continue to have joy, continue to rejoice, despite uh, being stalled out or, or stuck in life. And to do that, we're going to look at Philippians. And Philippians was written by Paul, and it was written from prison. And so when you think about Paul, you think about his life, you think about him traveling, you think about him starting churches, you think about raising, him raising up leaders. And Paul was a guy that liked to be on the road. And so for him to be in prison was kind of a roadblock. It was a setback. It's not where he wanted to be. But yet, if you read through the entire book of Philippians, there's one theme that just rises to the top. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of give you eight verses throughout the, the book of Philippians, and then we're going to kind of walk through a, a passage in chapter four, but you can just kind of listen 
right now. And I just want you to listen, see if you can pick the theme that rises to the top from these eight verses. Philippians 1.3 says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. Philippians 1.18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians 1.25, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Philippians 2.17, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Philippians 2.28, therefore, I've sent them all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And finally, Philippians 4.10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. And so as you read through Philippians, what you realize is even though Paul's kind of stuck, there's this continual advice that he gives to be joyful and to rejoice. He just continually offers this advice to the readers. You need to rejoice. You need to be joyful. And I don't know about you. When I, when I hear advice from other people, especially if it's unsolicited advice, it's not advice I haven't asked for, I tend to, to look at the person who's giving me uh, the advice, right? If somebody's giving us financial advice, we want to know, okay, well, have you handled your money well? We want to see that before we take that advice. Uh, if somebody's trying to give me um, some advice on fitness and eating well, well, I'm going to need for them to look like they're in shape and they've got a handle on that with their own life. If somebody's going to give me advice on how to take care of my car, I'm going to need for them to, when they drive by, their car not be squealing and rattling like it's going to fall apart at any moment. I think most of us are like that. We, we want advice from people who we see the advice lived out in their lives well. And so as Paul's offering this advice to the Philippians... You wonder, has Paul lived out this advice well? And I love Acts in Acts, Acts chapter 16. Uh, Luke records Paul's first visit to Acts. And Paul had this incredible visit. He showed up, he met Lydia by the river. Um, he met a, a slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit and he cast her out. And ultimately Paul ended up in prison in Philippi. And this is the description that Luke gives us in Acts 16 verse 22. It says, the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. The prisoners were listening to them. And so when we think about Paul and we think about uh, his advice, Paul can say, have, be joyful and rejoice because that's, that's what he did. The reason we have the book of Philippians actually is because Paul was in prison and the people in Philippi said, we need to send Paul a gift, we need to take care of him. This guy, Epaphroditus, came from Philippi to visit Paul in prison. He ended up getting sick, he recovered. Paul gave him this letter and sent it back to the Philippians. 
And so you can imagine when they're sitting in, in their church service and they're reading this letter from Paul and they continually hear, have joy and rejoice, you can imagine them thinking about Paul when he was first in Philippi. And you can imagine the jailer who came to meet Christ sitting there in the service, hearing this message from Paul and go, you know what, I remember that. Because that's right before my family met Jesus. That's right before we were saved. And I remember it was the strangest thing because it was midnight and Paul and Silas were singing and praising And so when Paul says rejoice and have joy, we can take his word for it because it's something that he lived out each and every day of his life. And so, again, the question is, is how do you and I live like that? How do we rejoice? How do we rejoice even when life slows down? And so to get there, we're going to camp out uh, in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I know I've been jumping around, but I'm going to hang hang pretty close here. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul starts like this. Now, I want you to know, brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel." The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to stress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so in Philippians, two, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul talks about his roadblock. And his roadblock is very simple. He says, I'm in prison. And not just I'm in prison. I'm in prison for the cause of Christ. I've been preaching. I've been teaching. I cast out uh, demons. And, and I've gotten thrown into prison. And so, again, it seems like a roadblock. He's not out raising up leaders. He's not out sharing the gospel. It's kind of uh, put a halt to his plans. And yet he has joy and he rejoices And the reason is, is what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul continues to have joy because he realizes that the gospel is progressing, the gospel is moving forward. And he illustrates that, he explains what he means in the next verse. He says, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Uh, Cole and Luke are with their grandparents this week. They left yesterday. And so uh, me and Shannon, we went and ate lunch at a restaurant uh, today. And I'm going to tell you, there's a very big difference between eating uh, as husband and wife and eating as husband and wife with a three-year-old, okay? Because when a three-year-old is in a restaurant, at least our three-year-old, he is going to make himself known, Um, He is going to stand up in the booth, and he's going to greet people that walk by, and he's going to peer over behind him to see what the folks behind us are eating, and he's going to try and make friends, and whoever cleans the table, uh, you know, he's got to apologize, because he's going to make a mess. He's going to leave his mark, he's going to feed himself, and half the food is going to end up just kind of across the table. And so, uh, when you're eating with a three-year-old, like, you don't hide that. Like, they're there, they make their presence known, and as I think about Paul being in prison, my guess is, is that Paul singing and praising God at midnight wasn't a unique situation. I think Paul probably sang and prayed and praised God a lot. And so as he was there, he, he left his mark on the guard. 
I mean, they were there. Uh, they were guarding him securely. And so Paul's saying, listen, I may be in jail, but there's people around me, and they're hearing the gospel. And so Paul's able to have joy partly because he sees God working around him. He sees God using him to share the gospel with the prison guards. Uh, but he doesn't end there. He says this following up. He says, And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so one of the, thing that, thing that Paul, one of the things that Paul explains is this, is that uh, apparently there's some, been some of his co-workers, some followers, and while he was out sharing the gospel, maybe they had been content to kind of watch and listen and prayerfully support him. But now that he's in prison and he's unable to continue doing his ministry, they've grown bold and they've started sharing the gospel and going out in places that he can't reach. And so he realizes that God is working through the, the leaders that he's kind of developed. And it reminded me a little bit about my, um, my granddad. I was very close with my, my dad's dad. He was, uh, he was a principal uh, for a lot of years in Valdosta. And by the time I knew him, he was retired. And so he just had a lot of stories. Uh, I remember he gardened a lot. Just ridiculous amounts of tomatoes came out of his garden. Uh, and he fried fish. And so every Friday night, uh, when we were at my grandparents' house, all the guys would kind of gather in the driveway around the fish cooker. And he would cook, he would cook fish. And it was always the same way. He'd cook the fish, and then he'd have a Piggly Wiggly grocery bag with some newspaper in the bottom, and he'd cook the fish, and he'd put the fish in there, and we would all kind of sample, you know, just to make sure it was good. And, uh, and that's what we did. And the only time I really had fried fish was when I was at uh, my grandparents' house, and the only person that ever cooked the fried fish was my granddad. My dad didn't cook the fish. My uncle didn't cook the fish. I didn't cook the fish. We just, we just went to their house, and he cooked the fish. And that was kind of, that's just a very distinct memory of when I was there, that's what happened. And uh, as, as, you know, as happens in life, he, he passed away. And uh, there were a lot of things uh, that, that I remember and that I, that I miss, but there, he kind of left a legacy in certain ways. And, and I know it's just such a small, maybe silly thing, but in a way he kind of left this, this fish frying legacy because all of a sudden my dad is getting a fish cooker and he's figuring out, you know, he's watched for all these, he's figuring out how to fry fish, and my uncle's figuring out how to fry fish. And, and as I'm getting to college and figuring out how to cook for myself, you know, one of the things I want to learn how to do is, is fry fish for my buddies on, on a Friday night. And it's this idea that he, he did something, and it became so special uh, to our family, so valuable, so unique, that when he passed on and he wasn't able to do that anymore, we all took it up because it meant that much to us. And I think the same thing is happening in Paul's life. People have noticed, okay, Paul loves sharing about Jesus, and when Paul shares about Jesus, it makes a difference. And so if Paul can't share about Jesus, I want to make sure I'm out and I'm telling other people about Jesus for Paul. And so as I read this, I kind of think to myself, am I doing anything so important, so valuable, so special, that if I weren't able to do it anymore, somebody else would pick it up and run with it? And so as I read this, I see that Paul has joy because he's confident that God's at work in the world. He's confident that God's working in the people that he's trained, and he's confident that God's working around him in the prison and that prison guards are hearing about Jesus. And so, in a sense, Paul can have joy because he sees God at work in the world. Uh, but I think that's, that's only part of it. Uh, I remember when I, when I moved to New Orleans, I moved to New Orleans in 2007, which was a couple years after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina hit. And so when I moved there, there were still houses that hadn't been touched. There were still houses when you would drive to the church that there would be spray-painted markings on the house, kind of indicating the house had been searched and this is what they found and all that. And so Katrina was still a very much a real thing when I lived there. And a few years down the road, we had uh, 
the Saints made it to the Super Bowl. And so I was working at a church, and we did what churches uh, do. The Saints were in the Super Bowl, and so we uh, hung up the big screen, and we uh, filled the fellowship hall with all kind of food, and we were going to gather and watch the Saints win the Super Bowl, or play in the Super Bowl. And so about the third quarter, uh, you know, everybody's getting antsy, everybody's excited. About the third quarter, the, the bulb and the projector burned out. And I've never seen people so upset in my life. People were upset. People were mad. I had a student who lived in the neighborhood. He, he ran, he busted through the door, and he sprinted to his house because he did not want to miss what was going to happen. And so uh, we, we kind of scrambled. We grabbed one of those old rolling TV cars, and we rolled it in, and we plugged in the cable. And, and we, 30 of us kind of gathered around this 30-inch TV and just kind of in, in anxiety waited to see what would happen. And uh, I remember when the game was over and the Saints had won, I mean, people were going crazy. And I was excited and I was happy. And all of a sudden I started looking around and people, people had tears in their eyes and people were emotional. I realized, man, this is a lot bigger. This is a lot bigger than football. You know, uh, I grew up in Albany and I didn't experience this loss that they did. They lost a lot of them, all their possessions. They lost a year of their life. And so when the Saints won, it was kind of this reassurance that our city's going to make it. We've, we're still doing something. Um, the Saints weren't my team. I rooted for them because I, I lived there, but I grew up rooting for uh, the Falcons. And so I recognized that, that there was something exciting going on. But in a lot of ways, I was kind of on the outside looking in. And so I imagine with Paul, there's this idea that He's excited about what God's doing in the world, but I wonder if there's part of him that's going, man, if I could only be a part. You know, I'm excited God's doing all that, but if he could just, if I could just be a part, if I could just be in the action, if I could just be there where all of it's happening, then, then, I, then I'd be more joyful, I'd, I'd be more complete. But if you follow on to, to his, his words in Philippians, he says this, he says, um, he said, yes, I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul says something really important. Paul says, I'm confident that God's at work in the world. I'm confident that God's doing something. But he also says, I'm confident that God is going to work in my life. And he says, I live with this eager expectation that God's going to be glorified in my body. And so he has this understanding that not only is God working in the world, but God's working in his life. And I think, I think that's where a lot of us struggle. I know that's where I struggle. I don't have a problem believing God is doing big things in the world. You know, you read scripture and you read the history of what God's done. You mean, God's done some incredible things. And you, you listen to, to pastors or Sunday school teachers share about what they're reading, and, you, and you, you go, man, God's teaching them some incredible things. And maybe Sunday morning you see people kind of come down to the altar and pray, and you know that God's at work in their life. And I think it's, in a way it's kind of like the, the log and the speck that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. I know this is a little bit out of context, but he says this in Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And what Jesus is getting at is the fact that we're very quick to notice other people's sin all the while being ignorant to our own, right? And I think we all understand that. But I think it kind of applies a little bit 
to seeing God at work in our life. Because I, I think the truth of the matter is this. I think we're all pretty good at recognizing when God is working in other people's lives. We can see when God's transforming other people, when God's using other people, when God's speaking through other people. I think we recognize when God's at work in other people. I think where we struggle is seeing God at work in our own life. I think maybe it's just so close, or we're not paying attention, or we just feel unworthy, and so we don't feel like God's at work in our life. And I just want you to understand this, that if you're a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, then God's at work in your life. Philippians 1.6 is one of my favorite verses, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so if you wonder why Paul has joy and is able to rejoice sitting in the prison cell when all his plans have stalled out, where he's not doing what he feels like he's been made to do, the fact of the matter is he can rejoice because he not only knows that God is alive and moving and active in the world, he knows that God is intimately at work in his life and has a plan for his life. And so those are the two points I want to leave you with tonight is this, is that God's at work in the world. And God's at work in your life, and so we can rejoice and we can have joy in the midst of that. And so those are the two points that you need to know. And I kind of want to give you a couple of practical applications, things that have played out in my life that helped me to live this out. Okay? First of all, in terms of, of knowing that God's at work in the world, sometimes we, we, we consume a lot of news. Uh, we consume a lot of world news. We consume a lot of uh, people news, who's doing what on Facebook. But sometimes we, we miss out on seeing what God is doing in the world. In whatever way you like to receive your news, whether you like uh, things that come in the mail, things that come in your email, or you like scrolling through social media, I want you to know that there's, there's places that you can get connected with, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, the Voice of the Martyrs, and they produce material in all those forms. Uh, and there's an app that I look at every day that tells me about a certain area of the world and what God's doing and, and, and how I can pray for persecuted Christians there. And so one of the th- encouragements that I found in my life is that I'll, if I'll open myself up to receiving some news about what God's doing in the world, it brings joy to my heart, reminds me that my world is <laughs> pretty small, God's world is pretty big, and he's got a plan, and he's at work, and I can have joy in that. And so if you want to find joy uh, in the midst of your life stalling out, maybe open your eyes up to what God's doing around in the rest of the world. And here's the second, here's the second part. Uh, sometimes it's hard to notice and realize what God's doing at, at work in our life. And I was reading through Revelation 1 after, uh, after the morning message. Uh, we, we focused on Revelation 1-3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who, hear, those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. But if you go on down to verse uh, 19, it says this. Jesus is talking to John. He says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after these. And if you read Scripture, there's a lot of times where God will speak to a prophet or God will speak to somebody and say, hey, you need to write this down. You need to write this down. Sometimes, um, sometimes our wives will say this, you need to write this down. And the reason is pretty simple. If we don't write it down, we forget. And so when it comes to God's movement in our life, the, the problem isn't that God's not moving. The problem is our, our memory. And what I want you to understand is this, is what gets written down gets remembered. And so when God speaks to you in your quiet time, maybe you just need to write a little, the date and jot a little note. Or when God answers a prayer, maybe you just need to send an email to yourself and, and kind of earmark that so you can remember that God's at work in your life. Or maybe you just need to keep a, keep a journal and every day when God speaks, you, you write it down. Because this amazing, amazing thing happens. God will answer our prayers and God will speak to us And then we forget, and then we come up against a struggle in life, and we wonder, is God going to come through? Is God going to answer? Is God going to meet my needs? 
And we forget about all God's faithfulness in the past. And so if we write it down, what we do is we, we give ourselves a constant reminder that God has never failed me and he's not going to fail me today. And so the idea behind this is simple. Is sometimes life is good and it is easy to sing and it's easy to rejoice. And sometimes life is difficult, plans don't go our way. But we still can choose to rejoice because we can keep our eyes on what God's doing in the world and we can keep our eyes on what God's doing in our life and it can give us, uh, it can give us joy and the ability to move forward trusting that God has a plan and God's working in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And God, we thank you that you're at work in the world. Lord, we thank you that your plan is bigger than just our life, Lord. But we also thank you that you have a plan for our life, Lord. uh, Nothing in our life surprises you. And so, Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to recognize when you act. Help us to write it down. Help us to remember. And, Lord, help us to be faithful to share those stories with others and encourage them.